first Bible reading is from Colossians 3, verses 9 and 10, followed by James 4, verse 11. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which has been renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. And the Gospel reading is from Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 to 20. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honour their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, (coughs) Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, Explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. So as King David prayed, those teach us your ways, Lord, show us your paths, guide us in your truth and teach us, for you are God our Saviour and our hope is in you all day long. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was a Thursday evening 
in October 2006 in Cambridge. And I, I'm sat in this chapel. This chapel is the chapel in, in Ridley Hall in Cambridge where I'm sat with the rest of the college community for what would be our weekly communion service together. And that night, ten years ago, I remember a sermon that I remember more than anything else of any other sermon during my two years there in Cambridge. Sermons are a bit like hot dinners, aren't they? Ever heard that one? That sermons are like hot dinners? We often can't remember what we've eaten, but we know that they've done us some good. And it's the same with often with sermons. But then there are, there are some meals, aren't there, that we'll never forget. There are some meals that we'll always remember, just like there are some sermons that we'll always remember. And this was one of them for me. The title of that sermon was this, Words Make and Words Break. Words Make and Words Break. And if you like, for a, a community of trainee vicars, it was kind of this reminder for us. Half of whom were, were living in dormitories in each other's pockets and the other half of us who kind of came in and took over for the day and then went away. It was this sobering reminder for each one of us of what it means to be a loving community together. Words make and words break. The judge's verdict after another performance on Stripling. Words make and words break. The voice of your doctor with the results of a scan. Words make and words break. The sound of your name being read out or not being read out as the coach announces your team. Words make and words break. And words make and words break because they're powerful, aren't they? The power of lies to deceive, whereas as against the power of the truth to set us free. The power of angry words said in the heat of the moment, whereas the power of kind words that consume troubled waters. The power of poisonous words is against the power of encouraging words. Words make and words break. And in the Bible we read in the book of James, in James chapter 3, we read in the Bible of the power of the tongue. And in that passage, James speaks to us and compares the power of the tongue to, to three different things. To a horse's bit, to a ship's rudder, and to a, and to a lit match. With the first two, he talks about them with the power of the tongue to control. Just like a, a horse's bit is a small part of equipment. But it can control something so powerful that it can set the direction for it. Just like a ship's rudder is a small part of the ship. But it can set the direction for the ship in which way it is to go. So James says the power of the tongue is the same when it comes to our whole selves. With the power of the tongue we can control our whole self. The power of the tongue to control but also to set things out of control. Like a lit match that suddenly inflames a whole forest. Or, should we say, a church. The wrong word said at the wrong moment that destroys a, a precious relationship. The promise that is broken. The wrong impression created that can never be repaired. Words break and words make. 
As James would say in that passage, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who've been made in the image of God. And then as Jesus explained in our, in our gospel reading in Matthew 15, the tongue isn't the source of the problem. The tongue is merely the agent of the problem. The source of the problem goes to something much deeper within. And we read of another one of those encounters that Jesus had with his disciples where they didn't quite grasp the meaning of the words that he'd spoken to them in his parable. And so Jesus has to explain to them, if you like, kind of 20 centuries before what Sigmund Freud made famous in the Freudian slip, how the words that we say originate not from our mouths, but from deep within our hearts. And so we we look in this series at love is the best way to be church. And we're looking at these one another statements. These one another statements that became the baseline for how the early church lived their life together. And how the world saw Christians behaving in this way that they, they changed the world. And over these next three Sundays, we're going to be looking at some of the, some of the smaller ones, shall we say. Some of the ones that we might call are in the fine print, that we can't necessarily read because, oh, they look a bit small, because they're only mentioned once or twice, but they're, they're no less important. And these are the ones that talk about the words that we, that we speak to, to one another. And each week over these next three Sundays, we're going to look at, if you like, two don'ts with, with two do's. We're kind of going to juxtapose the two together. So two things that, if you like, break community and two things that make community. Here's the reason why the words we use are so fundamental to being a loving community together. Here's the reason why it is such a critical life or death issue. Because as as Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, from the first moment when a man meets another person, he's looking for a strategic position he can assume and hold over against that person. From the first moment when a man meets another person, he's looking for a strategic position he can assume and hold over against that person. You know, he wrote that... That in one of his most famous books, Life Together, that he wrote in the, in the 1930s. And he wrote it while he was leading an illegal seminary in eastern Prussia. And the first time I read those words, I know exactly where I was. And they kind of jumped out at me, thinking, are people really like that? Does that really happen? And then I came to the conclusion it is. Because as we'll see in a moment, Jesus had to deal with this issue within his own community of the 12 disciples. I actually think when I, when I think about those words, I think it's one of the most powerful and one of the most important statements ever written about being a community together. And I think it's true for, and it's natural in any grouping, and it's the thing that has to die for any loving community to be formed. So here are the two examples, if you like, where words break. Here are the two examples where, if you like, those words kind of don't help. 
When we, when we tell lies about another member in the church. Or when we speak slanderous words about another member in the church. As Julie read for us in Colossians 3 verse 9. Do not lie to each other. The lie there is the Greek word pseudomai. It's nothing unexpected. It means to utter an untruth or attempt to deceive by falsehood. And then the second one. Brothers and sisters, don't slander one another. Slander is the Greek word kataleleo. It's actually made up of, of two words. Kata, meaning down, and leleo, meaning to talk. So quite simply, to slander means in the Greek, to talk down anyone in any way whatsoever. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer would say in his book, it means never speak about another member of the church to another in a covert manner. In other words, when they're, when they're not present. What this means is, if you like, never speak about another member of the church to someone else in a derogatory manner without the person in question being present. Simple as that. Never do it. Never give it any opportunity whatsoever. Never do it even when you're kind of doing it as a banner of help for someone. Never do it. Never do it even when we kind of wrap it up in spiritual purpose words and we just say, oh this is just for prayer purposes and keep it a secret. Never ever do it. You know, because it's just absolutely toxic, isn't it? Because God takes such a dim view of it. Because Jesus died for the church, loves the church. So he wants nothing like that in it. You know, there's a, there's a story told, J. John tells this story, that one day a man saw in the distance his vicar hugging the wife of another church member. And this man was deeply shocked, so the, so the, and it was the last thing that he expected the vicar to do. So the first thing he did was to tell members of the church what he'd seen. And then kind of bound them over in secrecy and said, just between the, the two of us. That Sunday anyway, it came to the Sunday service and the vicar announced that one of the members of the church had suffered a, a terrible tragedy earlier in the week. And it turned out that what the man had seen had seen the vicar consoling this person's wife. The man was so ashamed that he, he came to the vicar afterwards and confessed that he'd spoken in a slanderous way about the vicar to other members of the church and asked for his forgiveness, which the vicar freely granted. And then the vicar asked the man to do him a favour. And because the man felt so guilty, he jumped at the chance. So the vicar said to him, take this feather pillow to the top of the hill in the centre of the town. Tear it open and release all of the feathers in the wind. Then come back to me when you've finished. Well, the man obliged and convinced he knew the lesson that he was being taught when he came back to the vicar. He told him that he understood the lesson. That slanderous words can spread quickly. And easily. And the vicar then said, that is true. But for the most important part of the lesson, go and pick up every feather. Because words break. But words can also make. Here's one way that words can make. Because this is how Jesus had to deal with this situation within his own community. Of some of the disciples trying to take an advantage over some of the others. Do you remember when it happened? Where it happened? In Luke 9 and verses 46 to 48. When some of them started to talk about who was the greatest. And who was the best. And how did Jesus deal with the situation well he just he just took a little boy didn't he he took a little boy and stood him next to him 
And Jesus said, whoever welcomes this little child welcomes me and welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you who is the greatest. Humble words make. Ephesians 4, 2, that's on, on your handout, be completely humble. 1 Peter 3, verse 8, be compassionate and humble. 1 Peter 5, 5, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. As Jesus said, not, not once but twice, didn't he, in Luke's Gospel, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Humility is such a, a key virtue in being a loving church together. It's not thinking less of yourself. That's not humility, because that's been a doormat, isn't it? That's not what humility is. Humility is thinking of yourself less. <laughs> that's what humility is. So how do we, how do, we do this? How do we, how do we practice humility? Well, another one of the most famous and influential books ever written about how you create community is The Rule of St. Benedict. Anyone read The Rule of St. Benedict? No? Go and waste the best two pounds that you'll probably ever spend, basically, and go and buy The, the Rule of, of St. Benedict. You know, if you don't know who Benedict was, he was this 6th century Italian monk. And he wrote this rule about how to, how to live life together. And it's, if you like, shaped the monastic movement throughout the last 15 centuries as well as a number of other Christian communities. And in his rule, he speaks of what he calls the 12 steps to humility. As if humility is learnt by climbing the steps of a ladder. And as you climb up each rung of the ladder you get a deeper insight into what it means to be a person of humility until we reach that place of knowing the perfect love of God for each of us. And so two ways, if you like, to practice humility is to begin, as he would say, with a holy fear of and obedience to God. You know, in that moment when we were just singing earlier, and that holy moment, when the Lord God Almighty, you could feel his presence. Because he knows us better than we know ourselves. And coming from that, that recognition of, of who God is, as the Lord God Almighty, the creator of the world and the creator of the universe. And not being scared of him, because that's not what a holy fear means. But coming with a reverence. And an understanding of who we are in comparison to him. That's where humility begins. And also humility begins with a healthy understanding of the gospel. And as Paul would say, seeing ourselves as the, as the worst sinner. Remember what he said in 1 Timothy here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. You know, when we see ourselves in that light, that's how humility begins. Tim Keller, the, 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 the pastor of the Church of the Redeemer in New York, 
has a wonderful phrase about the good news of the gospel that I just think sums it up so much. We're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Words break and words make. And when we are humble towards one another, words make. And here's a second way that words make when we bear with one another. Ephesians 4.2 says, bear with one another in love. Bear with each other, Colossians 3 verse 13, and forgive one another. And of course, bearing with one another isn't so much about what we say, is it? But it's what we don't say sometimes when the person who we're called to be in community with is really annoying us, isn't it? And we hold our tongues. Bearing with one another is about enduring and tolerating one another, but it's easier said than done. As a, as a wise pastor taught me when I was growing up and said these words to me, Ian, it is far easier to share than to bear. And it is. But to bear with one another is one of the calls of what it means to be a loving community together. Why do we do this? Because this is what Jesus has done for us, isn't it? In 1 Peter 2 and verse 24, when Peter is, is talking about that famous passage from Isaiah 53, he says, He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness because by his wounds we are healed. And so here's two ways that we can, we can bear with one another. Bearing with one another is all about remembering that all of us, whoever we are, have all been made in the image of God. Rather than in the image that we would like perhaps each other to be. It means that each one of us has God's DNA in us. And not the DNA perhaps that we would like to put into people. When we start from that basis we see everyone as a gift rather than a burden. Because each one of us have been made in God's image. And here's the second way that we can learn to bear with one another. By going to speak to to God about the person when the person who we're called to be in community with just is winding us up. I find that that is very helpful because it changes it when you pray for someone who you perhaps don't see eye to eye with or you're not getting on with. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer would say again, a Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another or it collapses. I can no longer hate or condemn a brother for who I pray no matter how much trouble he causes me. The face that hitherto might have been strange and intolerable to me is transformed in intercession into the countenance of a brother for whom Christ died, the face of a forgiven sinner. 
Words make and words break. And as we read some of these one another passages, if you carry on reading them, what you see is you see this recurring theme that keeps coming out. That all of these, if you like, statements, these one another statements, are all about the practical outworking of the cross in our lives. (coughs) It's through an understanding of the cross that we begin to understand how we live out these words, these one another statements. And it begins with this, that we know that the cross is something done by us. That we understand that at the end of the day, as Paul said, we are the worst sinner. That if everyone else was perfect and we were the only simple person on this world, Jesus would have still come and died for us. It begins from there. But then it begins to move to understand that the cross does something for us. That it saves us. That it buys us salvation and forgiveness. As Tim reminded us a few weeks ago, that lovely phrase, there is no future without forgiveness. That is big picture and little picture Christianity is summed up in six words, isn't it? There is no future without forgiveness. The cross does something for us, but then also the cross does something through us. Because through those two things working in our lives, we change. We become transformed and we begin to be the people that Jesus always called us to be. And these words that make, or these words that break, depend upon which set of clothes we wear. Whether they're the clothes that we wear of pre-understanding the cross. Or whether they're the clothes that we wear from understanding the cross. So we remember how words can break. But so, so much more words can make. Let us pray. (laughs) Let's just take a moment to to pause. And as we do that, I'm going to invite the band to, to come up. Because they're going to, they're going to sing a song that they sang just at the, just before we started our service. It's a, song that we might not be familiar with. And as we come and approach communion together, we're going to just use this song as a prayer. Maybe it might be to just Say to God, when the words that we've used have broken, to ask for his forgiveness. Maybe it might be a person that God wants us to go and see. Maybe to ask for forgiveness, but also maybe it might be as well that he just wants you to go and encourage someone 
or affirm someone because words can make as well the way